Christine Bentley here with Kate Wheeler, and you are listening to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Today's show is brought to you by Meridian Credit Union, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Now, students of all ages are back in school, and for some, there may be mixed emotions or even back-to-school anxiety. Rebecca Bridell, a psychologist and professor at the Faculty of Health at York University, is going to be here to discuss this as one-third of parents say their children have missed school due to issues related to anxiety. Why does that not surprise me? She'll have tips on managing the transition back to school in the first weeks and more. I remember saying first few days, I, I don't feel well. And my mother said, well, that's too damn bad. But mm. different generation now. Yeah, it is. Different. Although my kids reminded me that um, I sent them to school as long as they weren't actually throwing up in the car, then they went to school. and <laughs> So probably not good, but I was never quite sure about when they were bluffing and when they, yeah, weren't, I know. When, when they weren't bluffing. Now, uh, when hijabs provoke insults and mosques are under attack, what does it mean to grow up a Muslim in Canada? We're going to be speaking with Wendy Rowland. She's the director of 14 and Muslim. That's a new documentary premiering later this month that follows three young teens as they transition from private Islamic elementary school to Catholic and public high schools and take their first tentative steps towards adulthood. Now, every day in Canada and abroad, vulnerable people come to the Canadian Red Cross in their time of need. Lifestyle expert Lena Almeida is going to be here with news about a brand new campaign that will benefit more than just the victims of disaster. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a great campaign and it runs all month, so you're going to want to hear about that. Film critic Anne Brody will have the latest movie and TV reviews, as well as TIFF recommendations in Saturday Night at the Movies. And did you know, Christine, Canadians spend more than 53 hours a year wandering the aisles of grocery stores in search of fresh ideas for the daily dinner grind? Oh, yeah. I, I I think it's much more than that. <laughs> I think it's more than that, too. But uh, that's only an hour a week. I think I spend an hour a couple of times a week going around. And that's not even counting if you go to Costco where you get lost and you spend six hours and spend 600 exactly. bucks. Exactly. Well, culinary entrepreneur and nutritionist and author Rose Reisman has launched a step up from meal kits that are going to make uh, dinner for the family a whole lot easier. She's going to be here to tell us all about that. Now, closing out the show in our live studio sessions, today we have singer-songwriter Annie Bonsignor, who just released her third studio album called Durban Girl, and she's going to be performing Fingerprints. Every woman has a secret. Now, Alyssa Edwards just happens to be a little bigger. On Tuesday, September 11th, pageant queen and meme sensation of RuPaul's Drag Race brings Alyssa Edwards' The Secret is Out, her one-woman stand-up comedy show presented by Club Couture, to the Opera House in Toronto. Now, tickets are on sale now at theoperahousetoronto.com. Our producer, Alex Simpson, will be there talking to Miss Edwards herself, and that's going to air on next weekend's show. 
And don't forget, we're giving away an Enforcer by L'Oreal Professional Prize Pack. Now, built into a full lineup, Siri Expert Enforcer offers a range of shampoo, conditioner, and mask, which are all no-rinse products. Just go to whatshesaidtalk.com to enter. And be sure to follow us on social media at What She Said Talk everywhere. Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. Meridian's three-year escalator GIC can help you save for a bucket list trip. In the first year, earn 2% interest. In the second, 3%. In the third, 4%. Those escalating savings could be the difference between this trip and this trip. Visit a branch or meridiancu.ca today to get started. Meridian, saving for a better life while living your best life. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. While students of all ages are back in school, and for some, there may be mixed emotions or even back-to-school anxiety. Joining us now to discuss this is Rebecca Pillay-Riddell, a psychologist and professor in the Faculty of Health and Associate Vice President of Research at York University. Welcome to What She Said. Hello. Now, according to a 2017 survey, one-third of parents say their children have missed school due to issues related to anxiety, and one-quarter have missed days at work themselves to care for the children who are experiencing the issues. So what are some back-to-class triggers that can cause anxiety for kids? So I think that's a question that I have to say it depends on the age of the child. Mm -hmm. So I think when you have the earlier children, the younger children, preschool, who are going in for the first time, it really is a lot about the fear of the unknown, having not exposed, not having a kind of a a schema or an idea of what it's going to be like to be in school. When you start getting into older, older children... I think the challenge becomes that they know what's happening at school, Uh. and some children actually have an anxiety towards what's happening at school. Mm -hmm. And so generally, as a psychologist, you'll see two, you know, when you're speaking about school anxiety, two different types of things that could be going on, broadly speaking. One could be about the schoolwork itself, and one could be about the social. Mm-hmm. And so it depends on the child, but or, and it could be both, actually, as well. So it depends on the age of the child, but you, you'll see that there are children, as you get older, that actually have specific areas that they're scared or have this fear of. So well, what do you do? What can you do as a parent to help alleviate the anxiety? And much of it, it it's like across the board. Yes. So how do you how do you help? How do you how does it, as a parent do you, can you tell that that I'm not feeling well, my tummy hurts um is anxiety as opposed to genuine illness. So I'm going to take a step back for a second talk about genuine illness. Okay. So I think anxiety is. I realized yeah. that when I said <laughs> yeah, sorry. it. I'm like that wasn't what I meant, but you know, it came the out idea that is way. that yeah, dissipate but. if we're talking about a stomach ache or a yes. headache, which are con- are um, actual regular ways that stress can manifest itself because stress kills. Mm-hmm. And so we know I, I'm a member of board of trustees on uh, the Psychology Foundation of Canada, for example, mm-hmm. and they have a whole program for parents uh, about kids have stress too, mm-hmm. and so. So I think this idea that they are feeling unwell is is actually legitimate to say because they actually legitimately do can 
feel Mm -hmm. stomach pains or headaches um, because they they have stress. And so I think first you want to find out which which of the two it is and trying to ask questions about that and trying to sort of go around depending on the age of the child. So it's it's a hard uh, it really depends whether we're talking about a teenager or a young child. Mm-hmm. And so if we're talking about a young child, um, the, it would be harder for them to express that. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really there's a big onus on the parents to kind of scaffold that conversation to say to them, it must be scary to go to a new school. Is it scary? Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying to... to uh, elicit what the child is actually scared of and then trying to address those fears. And I think across the age, when you, you sorry, when you get to mm-hmm. older children, they can ask and they can tell you, like, I'm going to suck today. You know, I, last year was awful mm-hmm. and this year is going to be awful too. And I don't even know why I bother because I'm just going to fail. But it's so heartbreaking to think that this is, this is going on with your children. And I mean, mine, you know, smiled and off they went to to high school and even to university every day. But then I find out years later that it was like I was having a really hard time. I was being bullied. It's like you never said anything. I never saw anything. Why? Like what happened? Why wouldn't you say anything to me? So I think a lot of and and we have very open conversations about most things. But I find that that this is something that a lot of teenagers say don't want to discuss. And in fact, York U research found that at least three in 10 adolescents have some form of maladaptive perfectionism, which is consistently linked with distress and anxiety. So what does that that mean? So I think what they're talking about in that study, and I think that was coming from a a study in Australia Mm -hmm. that came out recently about looking at different types of anxiety or different types of perfectionism, sorry. So Mm -hmm. perfectionism is sort of a type of fear in some ways, a fear that you're not going to be perfect. You can kind of think of it that way for linking it to anxiety. And with perfectionism, there are three different types. And so depending, and I think knowing what type of perfectionism your child has can actually help you deal with the, per, mm-hmm. the anxiety and the worry that they have. So if there's someone who thinks that everybody else has to be perfect, that could be a child who doesn't want to delegate, who doesn't want to get into group projects, can find it stressful. Other children may find them stressful being in groups because they don't do anything right. Mm-hmm. And so helping a child in that situation, helping a child with more realistic expectations and saying that things are, that are not perfect so I have one one that used to do in group projects, used to do all the work because no one else was going to have it done in time. That would be that kind of yes. perfectionism. Yes, yes, absolutely. Clocked that the, one. Yeah. <laughs> so having that kind of, of other, sorry, other-oriented perfectionism is just expecting this, mm-hmm. that others have to be that way. And then there are people who have perfectionism that are self-oriented. And so the self-oriented perfectionist is really trying to talk about when children will say, I have to be this, or things will be a disaster. I, if I don't get this perfect, or they get the 99 on a test, or even the 89 on a test, and nothing is ever good enough for them. Mm-hmm. And so helping them with more realistic expectations about themselves. And, mm-hmm. and the idea I always say to my in my profession as a, as a researcher, you often have to find yourself competing constantly to be at the top, at the, you know, the very top echelons to get funding, to get grants and that sort of thing. And I say to my grad students, you know, striving towards perfection leads to excellence, mm-hmm. but thinking that you'll achieve it leads to psychopathology. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other thing can, that, that can also lead to a whole lot of problems is um, 
the younger children, the back-to-school vaccinations. Yes. Um, are there some do's and don'ts to prepare them for that? Absolutely. So that's my wheelhouse. I <laughs> think that's where I do my research is about fear and what we've done. Uh, especially, we, we've worked with the older, uh, the sorry, the younger children. So looking at all the way from infancy to preschool, mm-hmm. and what we found is that the most powerful predictor of whether a child will show that fear before needles is actually parent behavior. So we've done longitudinal studies that actually show that babies, how a parent, and often it's mothers who, who tend to do a lot of the caring, but it could be fathers as well, how sensitive they were to the child's pain and cues when they were 12 months old is actually really? predicting how much anxiety a child will experience before their preschool needle. So the idea of parent behavior as a very powerful way of managing anxiety with these back-to-school vaccinations or the mm-hmm. flu shot. So I think mm-hmm. that's the next thing is that parents, you know, young p- parents of younger children are heading towards back-to-school for flu shot or, sorry, for uh, vaccinations to get into school. But then flu season will be upon us very soon. And so I think parent behavior, parents' ideas and fears really influence children as well. So parents have to be calm. And if they have fears about needles, which, you know, chances are they they could. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have these fears because I think our pain wasn't addressed when we were younger, that it was not considered a a big, big, scary thing. Mm -hmm. You just get your needles and you do it. Mm -hmm. But that affects their behavior as adults and as parents. And so parents need to deal with their own anxieties around needles. And if they do have a phobia, I've I've seen parents who have full-blown phobias. When the needle comes out, they actually can't even be there in the room for their child. I was was just thinking back. I took um, a a co-anchor child. She asked me to go to the doctor and I held her baby while she had the first shots because she couldn't do it. She couldn't even look. And I'm like, yeah, this is fine. This is no problem. And, you know, I was comforting the child and she didn't even notice the needle, like, go in because I was tickling her on this side and they're pinching the arm and it was like, that that's it. It's done over. She was like fine. Her mother, not so fine. <laughs> not even in the room. So yes, there are some people that definitely have big problems with, with that kind of thing. Absolutely. And, and that was a parent who took responsibility to find someone to support the child. But there are many parents who are so overwhelmed by that fear, they don't or they think they can handle it. And then time again, they just leave the baby. So we've had situations where they leave the baby and leave the room. And this isn't, these aren't bad parents. These are parents who are scared and need help themselves. But it's probably better for them to do that than to be transferring that tension, that fear into their children. Yes, but it's also scary for those children to go through that alone. Alone, I know. And so you're definitely, I think the the role, what we call the role of parental presence, Mm -hmm. the data isn't clear Mm -hmm. as to which way it goes, but we definitely as a clinical psychologist, when we deal with even more invasive procedures like lumbar punctures, um, when you're in hospital and and psychologists are called to that, we definitely know that working with the, the, the medical doctors or the nurses that it's always a call as to whether a parent should be there or not. Mm -hmm. And so I think the the idea is that I would like to see parents be empowered and help parents get the support that they need uh, to treat the needle phobia. Because I think it gets to the point of the phobia because it's impacting their ability to make their child feel safe and secure. So um, let's move back to teenagers just before we go. Like quickly, is there there something that that, uh, some kind of alarm trigger with so that you know that you do need to take your child to some counselor that t- to know that it's gone beyond a level that you can maybe help yourself? I think at any age, okay. and it could be at adults as well, um, the level is when it interferes, right. when there is significant interference in life activities. And so if you stop taking your child to get vaccinated, 
Um, we we often think, and we have no evidence for this, but I think one of the things we suspect is that you know the research about linking the the misproved, they disproved research linking autism with vaccinations, mm-hmm. which has been shown to be not true. Yes. We f- see that despite the evidence, despite the the advocacy to say that that doesn't work, we see people holding on. Right. And a lot when you go to some of these websites, they talk about why put your child through this pain, and pain comes up. And so you can't help but think that, you know, their feelings and their experiences of pain mm-hmm. are influencing even their reason about making an important decision. Okay. Where can people go to learn more about this? So about pain and how to help. Mm-hmm. Definitely about kids' health. Um, it's at, at Sick Kids. They have a website. We've just done uh, 10 parent uh, brochures that should be coming out in the fall okay. about treating acute and chronic pain across the lifespan that is developmentally sensitive. Also, um, at the University of Toronto, Anna Tadio has led an international effort to um, have her work and mobilized for parents. So if you Google help in kids and Anna Tadio, you'll get her uh, handout brochures. Great. Thank you. Uh, Rebecca Pillay Riddell, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Fashion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit KearnsandCo.com. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. When hijabs provoke insults and mosques are under attack, what does it mean to grow up a Muslim in Canada? Joining us now is Wendy Rowland, the director of 14 and Muslim, a new documentary premiering on Friday, September 21st on CBC Docs POV. Welcome to What She Said. Thanks very much. 14 and Muslim is a documentary that basically follows three young teens as they transition from private Islamic elementary school to Catholic and public high schools and take their first tentative steps toward adulthood. So what gave you the idea to um, develop this? Well, initially it was actually um, my producer and my executive producer, so Cornelia Principe and Nisha Pahuja are um, both filmmakers themselves Mm -hmm. and producers. And uh, Cornelia has a nephew who's Muslim and he was entering high school, and she just sort of started thinking about, you know, as all this stuff was going on in the world, and Trump was the new president, and there was sort of Islamophobia quickly creeping over our border, and 
she just sort of started thinking about what it must be like for her nephew, um, you know, in the world right now. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of approached me and I know them from other projects to see if I might be interested in directing. And I was really interested right away. I have kids. I have a daughter who just yesterday started grade nine. So she, when I started making the film, she's a year younger than the kids in the film. But, you know, I, you just sort of think being 13 and 14 in the world today, it's tough. There's a lot of different pressures on kids. Before we get to the challenges of a teenager, yeah. do you personally believe that that is the crucial age well, I think there's a lot of crucial ages for kids and a lot of times that they go through different mm-hmm. things. But I do think that transition from grade eight to grade nine oh, is a time huge. where kids change hugely. They're, you know, becoming young adults. And I actually, it's interesting to me because I think in the course of this film, you see these kids grow up. And so I do think it's a crucial age for kids in general. And then for these kids that we filmed, you know, a lot of them are making the decision whether to stay in Islamic school. They've often been there since kindergarten to grade eight. And it's a time when they and their families decide if they're going to continue in Islamic school or leave for a public or Catholic high school. Well, and in Canada, certainly the Islamic um, schools are very highly rated. They're very highly rated. Um, They're also expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, they're so for a lot of these families, it's about affordability. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there's not very many Islamic high schools. So that's also part of the problem is, you know, sometimes they just have to leave because there's lots of elementary schools, but there's not very many Islamic high schools. So that's a bit of a challenge, too. But also, I would imagine that when you get to high school and then go on to university, you're trying to build um, a contact base, if you will. So you're very isolated in in an Islamic environment. That is, your contacts will all be... Uh, Islamic. Yeah, yeah, other Muslim kids. Um, It's sort of like when people send their kids to an Ivy League university. It's not so much that the education is that much better for an undergrad, let's say, Yeah, but it's the connections. Yeah, yeah, and I think for these kids, I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's something we wanted to sort of explore in the film is on one hand, they're being protected and, on, you know, I mean, the reason they're there is their parents want them to sort of strengthen and, and learn about their Islamic faith and, and have that strong grounding. But then are you also kind of isolating them? Mm-hmm. And one of the kids, Ahmed, you know, he says in the film that, you know, at some point he's going to end up at university. And, and he was sort of pushing his parents. He wanted to go to public school. And he said, you know, better now that I meet other kids outside of just knowing Muslim kids. OK, so what kind of... Of conversations, and we talked, you you mentioned that, you know, the anti-Muslim sentiment is coming across the border. Here in Canada, what kind of conversations are parents having with their children about Islamophobia, intolerance, racism? Well, I think that they're, you know, most of the the families that we met, the parents are pretty open with their kids, and they talk about it. And it's very clear, even in the school that they're in, because, you know, it's attached to a big mosque, and anytime something happens in the world, their school goes on lockdown. And so we were filming just after the attacks on the mosque in uh, Quebec, and the school had been on lockdown for over a month. The kids couldn't go outside for lunch, and so it does impact them on their day-to-day basis. And I think what the parents try and sort of instill in them is, yes, this goes on in the world, but, you know, you're in Canada, you're safe, mm-hmm. and and also this thing of, of being the good Muslim, like that they have to sort of rise up to this and, and show people, you know, and it's a lot of pressure, I think, for these kids that 
they have to kind of almost be a spokesperson for their faith. Um, and, you know, and for me, it was just how they sort of normalize that they're going to get looks, that they're going to get comments about their hijab, you know, things that a lot of kids never have to deal with in their lives. And these mm-hmm. kids know when they go into the world, they're going to get looks and they're going to get comments. We have one quote from, from one, one of the students that says, many of my classmates, they love Shawn Mendes and Drake. I haven't listened to music for a long time because it's not allowed. Everyone breaks rules sometimes, but I do my best not to. So that's something that we wouldn't even think about, that they can't listen to, to certain music. Yeah. Um, so what do you hope that people take away from watching this documentary? I mean, I sort of hope that, you know, in so many ways, these kids are just regular kids, and they do hang out with their friends, and they go to the mall. And, and you know, like any religion, I mean, I think the problem is people look at, you know, this one big grouping of Muslim, and they think they're all the same. And meanwhile, you know, mm-hmm. There's millions and millions and millions of Muslims, and they all practice in the same way that people of different religions have different ways of practicing their faith. And so some of the kids, yes, they don't listen to music or they don't play video games. Other kids that I met, you know, totally listen to music and play video games and go to the movies. So I think it's just that, you know, there's a whole range of of ways that people, you know, practice their religion, and they're not all lumped into one category. Mm-hmm. And these kids are just regular kids and they're going off to high school and they're, you know, hoping to fit in and trying to fit in and, and having all the anxieties of, you know, right. my own yeah. Kids. Yeah. Your own kids. Well, when we talk about inclusivity in this country, I mean, we, we don't expect people to give up their religion or their culture or anything else. Uh, and, and we hope to have it as a mutually acceptable thing. Do you think some Muslim parents who may see this film may say, maybe we need to relax a little bit on the rules so that they can be different but but they can still share something because if you stay strict, then there's not much wiggle room. Yeah, and I, and I mean, I think most of the parents, I think they understand that. You know, I mean, I know the parents of the kids that I've uh, with, that we filmed. You know, they get that it's you know in the same way that I'm a different generation than my kids, yeah. and that I sort of seem like a dinosaur. You know, even though yeah. I don't think I am. And, I, you know, these parents are realists just like I am, that their kids are going to have, you know, different experiences and they're going to go out in the world and they have to be ready at a certain point to let them go. And it's just at what point they're ready to do that. But I do think that in looking at this film, you know, we do film in a Catholic school, we film in a public high school, and I think the kids, you know, the parents will really see, you know, these kids... These schools are open-minded. They are very accepting. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, in the same way that I worry about my daughter going off to high school and who she's going to meet and who she's going to mix with, those parents have the same worries. And, you know, hopefully in seeing this film, you know, and seeing how smart and articulate these kids are too and ready to go out in the world, that they're kind of, you know, that might sort of help them understand it a little bit more. So what do you think this experience of filming this meant to the kids involved? I think they liked it. I mean, I think that it is one of those things. It's one thing to, you know, be interested and say, oh, yeah, I want to be part of a documentary. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to have a camera crew following you. You know, I mean, they would often be like, oh, my gosh, you're here filming us again. (laughs) So, you know, and and going into the high school when they're just sort of trying to fit in, you know, Mm -hmm. that was uh, 
a bit awkward, and we did our best to sort of hang back and not draw attention to them. So I think they all really enjoyed it, but I'm sure there was moments where they were a bit like, oh my gosh, turn off the cameras. (laughs) Well, in honor of Islamic Heritage Month, that's in October, a special free screening of the documentary will be held in Toronto on Monday, October 15th, 7 p.m. at the Isabel Bader Theatre, and there will be special event screenings that will also take place in select GTA schools during the month of October. So where can people go, go to learn more? Well, the CBC has a website. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the documentary show that it's on is called POV. Right. And the title's 14 and Muslims. And that's Friday, September 21st at 9 p.m. on CBC Docs POV. And yes. it's going to be available online that same day. Yes. And there's also, also there's all sorts of different other information on the website. There's some articles. There's a short film about one of another ch- kid that we also filmed with. So there's lots on the website to go to and then to watch it on CBC on uh, September 21st. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming in and telling us all about it. Thanks for having me. It was great. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Meridian's three-year escalator GIC can help you save for a bucket list trip. In the first year, earn 2% interest. In the second, 3%. In the third, 4%. Those escalating savings could be the difference between this trip and this trip. Visit a branch or meridiancu.ca today to get started. Meridian, saving for a better life while living your best life. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Well, Saturday night at 8 o'clock, I know where I'm gonna go. I'm gonna pick my baby up and take her to the picture show. Well, there are very few new films in theaters right now because TIFF is underway. <laughs> so joining us now is film critic Anne Brody, who is here with a short Saturday night at the movies and a list of TIFF recommendations. Welcome, Anne. Yes, thank you very much. Now, first we have My Generation with one of my favorites, Michael Caine. Your mother, Romy, is going to love this. Okay, good. Because she was in London in the 60s. She, she was in that was. whole scene. She certainly was. So it's all Hot about pants, the scene. miniskirts and all. And celebrities. And she was winning beauty contests all over the place. So, yes, indeed. Anyway, so Michael Caine takes us back to the townhouse uh, his poverty-stricken family came from. His name was Mickelberg or something. Um, And he describes what he went through. And all he wanted in those days, in the 50s and 60s, was to play a character who was part of the scene. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he did it over and over and Mm -hmm. over again. So everyone is in this. Mick Jagger, Marianne Faithful. Um, Penelope Tree, uh, all the designers from that era. Joan Collins. Joan Collins, who I think your daughter Sophie looks like, (laughs) and I've always said so. Um, It's just so much fun. It's really fun. And Twiggy, who's such an outgoing person now and full of causes, and she has a lot of opinions. Mm -hmm. She was a little shrinking violet back then. So we see the the change in her. Right. It's fabulous. It's really good. Okay, cool. 
Um, Sons of Anarchy creator Kurt Sutter has dreamed up another, uh, shall we say, ultra-violent motorcycle drama. What's this, Mayans? Mayans. Mayans, Mayans MC. It's the name of a fictional um, motorcycle, motorcycle gang that's involved with the cartels and also the Samoan crime syndicate. And, you know, these things are so intertwined and so complex and, and all these loyalties and stuff. So initially it's a bit confusing, but you sort of understand after a while. But, you know, frankly, for my taste, it's way too violent, way mm-hmm. too senseless in terms of why would someone do that to, to that person when it's completely unnecessary? So I guess some people like it. And it's on FX, which I normally love, but I don't love this one at all. Okay. Hmm. What about uh, PBS American Masters Artist Flight Series? That's the name of it. That's a long name. <laughs> yes, I was thinking, have I got the wrong title here? But apparently not. <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't trip off the no, tongue. No. So it examines the life of Andrew Wyeth, whose oh, father was okay. that famous illustrator, N.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wyeth, um, who did all the Scribner's books in, in uh, New York in the 20s. So Andrew Wyeth was his son. He he lived his entire life only in two places, on the coast and in rural Pennsylvania, Chad's Fort. And he drew what he knew, which what painted what he knew. He would go into his neighbors' farms, and he just they'd let him wander through the house, and he'd paint whatever. And they he wouldn't talk to them. He'd just come in and paint and paint them. Mm-hmm. And one of his characters was Christina, and she was an elderly woman, um, and she was disabled. And she had to crawl around the farm to do the chores. She wouldn't take any assistance. So that picture, Christina's world, that's so iconic, mm-hmm. that's her. She's not longing. She's crawling. Oh. And you see this darkness in Andrew Wyeth. There's a sunny photograph of a kitchen table. And you see outside and there's a log. And the log has dog's teeth in it. It's just so startling. You, it, his, his work seems simple, but it's anything but. And he's had so many reincarnations of late. Um, and of course, it was revealed a few years ago that he'd been painting his mistress in secret for something like 15 years, and he did 200 portraits of her. Okay, so let's move on to some TIFF recommendations. You like Shark Water Extinction. Yes, this is the sequel to Shark Water by Rob Stewart, who mm-hmm. sadly died yes. while making this. Um, he narrates. It's all his shots. He's in everything. Oh, man, it's heartbreaking on two levels. First of all, the, the, the case of the sharks in the world that are being slaughtered at an astounding rate for shark fin soup. It's illegal in most countries, but it's he finds millions of tons of them in, in Costa Rica and Africa and places like that. Um, anyway, it's and it's very sad, of course, when he dies. They don't, it's not a, in the least bit sentimental. And it gives you a good view of what uh, people are doing to what is on our earth. Yeah, and then we go from that to sex. Colette. Yes, Ooh, with Kieran. Yeah. Now, she was a saucy, saucy writer. She was saucy. That's a good word. Yes. Well, she wrote all these novels, and they were published under her husband's name. Until she decided to take them back. Yes. Right. And it gets really exciting through that. But they had a very fluid relationship. And you think in 1910, when he has his male lovers, she has her female lovers, and they both have the same, you know, opposite sex lovers. Um, it just wasn't done then. Yeah. We think. Well, but it was. But it was. <laughs> Undercovers. This is this is something you're going to be able to relate to, what they had. 
Yeah, mm. it's wow. It's Hillary Swank stunning. and Michael Shannon, brother yeah. and sister, grappling with their mother's fast-moving dementia and their father's heart disease, but they won't go into care. I wouldn't recommend you see that right away. <laughs> I, w- I mean, I'm just barely okay with it. Okay. Uh, but I'm telling you, it is so brilliant, so well acted, and uh, just couldn't even think after that for a okay. while. Okay. And finally, Tantu Cardinal gets a lead role in Falls Around Her. About time. She is one of our leading actresses. She's an Order of Canada, and she finally has a lead. Uh, she plays a, a, a Benishnaki, uh rock singer who uh, returns home to the reserve, and the city follows her in unpleasant ways. Okay, so we have to leave it there, but you can find more reviews and trailers and more of uh, Anne's TIFF recommendations on whatshesaidtalk.com. So, happy TIFFing! Okay! <laughs> Connect with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler at WhatSheSaidTalk.com. Every day in Canada and abroad, vulnerable people come to the Canadian Red Cross in their time of need. Now, whether they've just seen their home destroyed by a fire or they lived through a natural disaster like a hurricane or an earthquake, the Canadian Red Cross provides care and support when people need it most. Lena Almeida joins us now with news about a new campaign that will benefit more than just victims of disaster. Absolutely. So I think the Canadian Red Cross is synonymous with humanity. It's one of Canada's leading humanitarian charities. And the Canadian Red Cross, as you said, improves the lives of vulnerable people. Looking at 2017 to 2018 at a glance, 2,977 disaster responses in Canada alone, 132,000 plus Canadians assisted They have more than 6,000 engaged volunteers. More than 3 million people have been assisted globally. And did you know that over 500,000 Canadians took Red Cross first aid courses? I I did did not know that. I mean, I did. I took one. Amazing. (laughs) Not I did know that. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But that's that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And they actually had over 8,000 first aid instructors trained and over 1,000 lifeguards trained. So they're helping. Well, they're helping. When I hear that name, to me, it's synonymous with this huge amount of good that they do. And in in the world that we have and all these disasters, and we have a ton of stuff actually in Canada. We, uh, we charities do. Charities that, yeah. that, you know, like uh, Doctors Without Borders, whatever, that fly sure. out to disasters. They really, when you think of a world without the Canadian Red Cross, it would be a much sadder place. Absolutely. And I think when it comes to Red Cross donations. We usually are told, you know, um, or it's suggested that we donate to the Canadian Red Cross, usually around the time of a disaster when the donations are needed most. And of course, you know, donating is its own reward. But in the month of September, the Canadian Red Cross has launched a campaign with Aeroplan and Scene as a way to thank its donors for their generosity and support. So I'm here today to tell you all about it to give you another reason during the month of September to donate to the Canadian Red Cross. You know, I don't think people even need a reason, but I think it's yep. a wonderful thing statement that Aeroplan and Scene are making by saying we want to team up with this amazing organization. So, so are you are you saying that if we donate, we're going to get points? You are. Okay. Absolutely. That's that's a great idea. This is a 
this is a great initiative, and it's huge if you collect Aeroplan or Scene Points. So here are the details. For every dollar a person donates to the Canadian Red Cross at redcross.ca slash points, they will have the option of collecting either 20 Aeroplan miles or 20 Scene Points. So for example, if you were to donate $200, you'd receive 4000 Points. And if you're a scene collector, that's enough points for a fun date night, including premium movie tickets and snacks for two. And if you collect Aeroplan miles, well, a $200 donation would get you that much closer to maybe a chance to visit family or cash out some great gift cards. Can you split the? Can you split who you? Yes, you can. That's oh, a, okay. isn't that really? amazing? You can actually split the rewards 50-50. So that means for every dollar you donate, you can actually choose to receive 10 Aeroplan miles and. 10 scene points. So reward yourself twice. There is no limit on how much you can earn. So you can donate $10, you can date donate 200 you can donate 2000 so the more you give the more points you'll collect and of course that just also means you're going to have a greater impact on people suffering through a crisis in Canada and abroad so i need to clarify though that you must go to redcross.ca/points because if you go to the do- the regular donation page uh-huh. you won't see the option to add your aeroplan or scene account number so again that's redcross.ca/points and you also have have to be a member of Aeroplan or Scene before you make mm. the donation just because right. you will need that account number when you donate. So how long does this camp, when does it start, when does it end? Sure, it's running the entire month of September, so September 1st to 30th, 2018. The Scene Points will show up in your account within 20, uh, 48 hours of making the donation, but the Aeroplan miles, they can take up to 30 days to appear, but rest assured, they will be credited to your account. And again, I feel like intrinsically, it's it's a great idea always to donate to people who are making changes and differences in Canada and abroad. But in the month of September, it's a no-brainer. I mean, for every dollar, 20 miles or 20 scene points, it's just such mm-hmm. such great motivation. You almost feel guilty about taking the miles <laughs> and the points. Because I never feel guilty about points. <laughs> I feel like the Red Cross, the Canadian Red Cross, is about bringing people together. So take those miles and, you know, go see a loved one. As a Canadian, I'm so proud that they are Mm -hmm. Canadian. Yeah. Lena Almeida, thank you so much for coming in and telling us all about it. Thanks for having me. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. This is 1059 The Region. What she She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. 
Did you know that Canadians spend more than 53 hours a year wandering the aisles of grocery stores in search of fresh ideas for the daily dinner grind? Well, our next guest has launched a step up from meal kits, and it's going to make dinner for the family a whole lot easier. Please welcome culinary entrepreneur, nutritionist, author, all-round unstoppable foodie Rose Reisman to what she said. Kate, thank Tina. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm very excited about this new product. Um, now, Rose's Family Meals... Um, you say they're perfect for the families who have a busy lifestyle. Right, and right. Uh, So tell us how it came to be. Okay, it came to be when I watched my own four children who are now grown up, you know, instructing them for all the years in my home to eat healthy, eat healthy. Then they'd finally say, I don't have time to cook. Mm-hmm. Okay, they'd go the meal kit way, which I think is fantastic. Here's the problem with the meal kit. It comes, you're still working, you're still chopping, you're still cleaning up. And what we want is more me time. We want to have a half hour, 40 minutes when we walk in the door to either play with the kids. If there's not kids, sit down with your partner, just go and exercise, whatever. So here are meals completely ready to go. You just heat and eat. So you've got um, a salad to start. You've got your main course, which would be an entree like chicken, salmon, whatever, vegetarian, um, some grain and veggies. You just plop that into the oven at 350 for about 25 minutes. Go do what you want to do. Buzzer rings. You're ready to sit down to a great meal. And there's no cleanup except for a couple dishes of that you're eating on. What could be easier? And also, you have already thought all about the nutritional Absolutely. Uh, components. Absolutely. And so people don't have to worry that they're getting enough of any... Sure. I mean, because even in the meal kits, or worse, I mean, take out, you don't know. I mean, you Mm -hmm. have the nutritionals, but it's not always positive. You know, it's not easy to make meals that are healthy, that taste really good. And when you're tending to add oil in and you're sautéing, you're going to add more than than a a couple teaspoons for sure. Here it's all done for you. Everything's nutritionally analyzed. You'll see when you eat the food, it's not greasy, it's fresh, it's clean, it's cooked perfectly. And there's so many options. I mean, you know, we even do a zone type of meal. So if you really don't want the carbs, we'll either cut the carbs down or we'll eliminate them and give you more protein and more veggies. Wow. Perfect. Well, the other thing that that I think is different than the meal kit I'm currently using is that you include... (laughs) I got to change you. (laughs) You include, uh, as you said, a salad and a a dessert. dessert. So I like to think of a meal full course. I mean, yes, is there enough food if you just have an entree, some, you know, grain Mm -hmm. and veggies? Yes, it is. But I love to know that you can start with a salad. And guess what? You don't want the salad today. Have it tomorrow for lunch. Because chances are there's going to be a piece of chicken left. You'll have lunch the next day. And when you think about the cost, it works out very competitive to take out for sure or meal kits, $12.50 a person. So when you think about that, you're getting a salad, your main course, dessert, mm-hmm. I think that's meal. very reasonable. Very, and, and even the desserts the next day, there are, are nice squares. So today I brought in an, um, an apple crumble square. Have it the next day for a snack or that little nice bite before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. So I like the way this works because it's thought out. You're not shopping. So you know what? Go and do your shopping for breakfast, yogurt, fruit, and that, and leave dinner to us. Let me ask you, because I'm sure you've analyzed this. If you were actually to go out and grocery shop and make that meal, oh my goodness, would it not be uh, at least double? At least yeah, double it would cost you. Absolutely. How come you're able to provide it at this cost? Well, we have an entire catering kitchen. We do corporate catering. We're a 10,000 square foot kitchen, so it's economies of scale. So we we pump out so much food daily from our kitchen. We buy it the best, um, you know, in terms of prices. My partner is Kara Operations. So we're able to do this under one roof. Whereas, you know, when you're starting this and you you want to do something like this on your own, it's not easy. You won't have the same uh, pricing that we're, we're able to have. Oh, boy. So, so, so take us through the steps 
of ordering. Okay, so you go online, very easy, go to familymeals.ca, and you'll see we right now have deliveries for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and again, that's different. Meal kits are once a week, and if you order once a week meal kit, you'll get three meals, but honestly, I don't really want my third meal on Tuesday if that's fish or chicken. So here, you can order four days from us. You need 48 hours before to order. Go online. The day you order, we'll deliver the night for the next meal. So in other words, if you want your meal on Tuesday, Monday night between 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. at night, you get the meal delivered at your door in a box, all on ice. Not to worry if it sits overnight. That's exactly what we're, what it's, it's made mm. to do. And then you bring it in the next day, put it in the refrigerator, and then you're ready to go. And we give three options per day. So you're always going to get a protein of either a chicken, beef, fish, always a vegetarian option. And the salads vary also. Every day there's a different salad. So do you use um, uh, things that are seasonal as absolutely, much as possible? Absolutely. So we'll be changing the menu every season. And, you know, you'll, you'll see today in the meal, we have some just delicious grilled grilled peppers for you and mm. um, salmon with a ginger Asian sauce. It's, it's just really, really, really nice. Now, all of the recipes are tested and prepared by your team of right. award-winning mm-hmm, chefs mm-hmm. at your nut and tree nut free facility yeah. in Toronto. Yeah. Now, do you have options for people with food restrictions? Absolutely, you have to. So today, I mean, not only do we do catering, we have a large a lunchtime program for children in, right. in Toronto. And if I tell you how many kids have allergies today, I mean you're running like 20, 25 different allergies. Absolutely. So absolutely if you want lactose free, if you want gluten free, we have all of that. What about, what about people who want um, kind of like a keto-based? Uh, more protein-based. More, protein, more, more based. protein less carbs. So that's exactly what we offer now. So we offered the regular, which has the carbs. So you might get a quinoa. You might get a farro. You might get today we have a really lovely egg noodle with mushroom dish. People say, I want to go low-carb. So that's the key. If they say low-carb, we'll say, you know what? We're going to keep the veggies because they are carbs, but they're healthy yeah. carbs. We'll cut the noodles down to half. Or if you'd like, we'll eliminate the grains completely and give you more protein and more veggies. So wow. that's online. So it will say zone options. I'm switching. Oh, <laughs> I'm switching. What, what's your main goal with this? I want to get people eating healthy. And that's been my goal for I don't know how many years. I've been in business well over like since 20, you started. 25 years since <laughs> I started. <laughs> yeah. Long time ago. <laughs> and my whole goal has always been I changed my own eating habits. I lost members of my family in their 50s due to obesity, mm-hmm. diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. And I saw that my life in my 30s was taking the same route. So I just said that's when I started. In 1993, I wrote my first book on light cooking, and I've really not turned back. And it's been such a great journey watching it come into schools, watching it come into law firms, whereas, you know, 15 years ago, if you went to a law firm and say, I have a healthy meal for you, they'd slam the door. Today, everybody's welcoming it as long as it tastes good. But it, it, it can be confusing because everything seems to go around in circles. I mean, yeah. goodness yes. knows when coconut oil was awful for us Absolutely. and you wouldn't go there. And then... It's higher fat. So, it, and now it's going back again. Yes. Now they're saying, don't believe it. And, and you know, here are my kids who are the millennials. I'm saying to them, you know, all the coconut oil you're using, hold, just yeah. hold off uh-huh. a bit. It's not proven yet. I think what I like is I don't talk about low fat or diet food. I talk about clean, fresh food. Mm-hmm. So for me, that means not packaged. So I've not processed either. Not processed, yeah. not packaged. I always say to people, only buy it if you need to. So when I see people eating these frozen dinners, you know, with all these chemicals and color and so much salt, the best thing you can do is cook from scratch. And if you can't cook from scratch, you got to do a, a a plan like mine. So you said it works out to about twelve fifty a person, a person, yeah. and that's for like three courses. Yeah, three courses. Um, 
how many do you have to order a for minimum? four? So for a minimum four. is four, and then you can order four times a week if you so like. And there's no contract, so you're you know again the meal kit um, industries tend to lock you in, and then you have to remember to cancel if not you get the meals delivered. We don't do that. My attitude is I want to see if you like it, and you know we'll send you reminders to order. But so we can so if I. I can go on 48 hours before. So say I want yeah. the dinner Wednesday night. Right. I have to order it on Monday. Mon- uh, right. On right. Order Mon- Monday. And if you want Wednesday night dinner, it will come Tuesday night to your door. It'll come Tuesday night right. to if your you door. If you want it for Wednesday night. Right. If I want. So, so, okay. So that's right. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. That works out really well. Yeah. So what area in the GTA do you cover? So we're covering the entire GTA, which means we're we're going into York Region. We're going out to Picking and Pickering and Ajax. We're going just, I think, a little east of Oakville. That's amazing. Yeah. Where do people make their go to place their first order? So they go to familymeals.ca. Right. And if not, just if you can't remember that, just go to Rose Reisman. Right. And you'll see there will be a link there for you. The link. Now, it is perfect because, yeah. I mean, you know what I hate more yes. than anything, and I've said this so many times before, is coming home and hearing what's for dinner. What's for dinner. It's a but, common. And then you open the fridge and then you want to make a recipe. You go, I don't have that. Okay, so do I get in my car and, and go and pick it up now? Or maybe I'll make what's due and then it doesn't taste as good because you're mm-hmm. not using the right ingredients. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the thing is, I think people have good intentions, but yeah. when you have a couple of children and you're both working. Absolutely. And you're supposed to be exercising and you're supposed to be spending time together and a- you're trying to keep your job so you're working six. Sixty hours exactly. a week, exactly, and you're sitting in traffic for commute. How do you how do you then spend the hour and a half? Yeah. And your kids are starving. Well, that, well that's the you're key. home at six, and they're going, "I'm starving," and then they're into the chocolate. You know, chip we cookies. created a cute um, infographic which shows the family at the end of you know like either cooking or ordering your meal kits and at the end the kids are screaming and they're still cooking and trying to follow the directions and we show <laughs> our families are just sitting down and eating so right now Heat you know meat. the meal's heating up right now as we're speaking and then we can go and just enjoy a good meal order online delivery and just heat and eat nutritious three-course meals thank you thank you for doing oh, what you yeah, do it's a joy it's a joy <laughs> thank you What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Meridian's three-year escalator GIC can help you save for a bucket list trip. In the first year, earn 2% interest. In the second, 3%. In the third, 4%. Those escalating savings could be the difference between this trip and this trip. Visit a branch or meridiancu.ca today to get started. Meridian, saving for a better life while living your best life. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. I was searching, now it's making sense. The time is now, the time is now. What you are listening to is Fingerprints by singer-songwriter Annie Bonsignor, who joins us now in studio. Welcome to What She Said. Thank you so much for having me. For people who may not know, you were born to a large musical family of uh, seven, not six, but seven, seven children. children. Yes. 
Wow, hardly ever happens these days, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. And you've true. been composing music since the age of eight and singing professionally by 10. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell us about that. Was that just to drown out the noise of the rest of the kids? <laughs> uh, no, actually, I'm, both of my parents are musicians. My mother's a music teacher. My father's a musician himself. So it was really ingrained in me from a very, very young age. And I didn't really have an option but to do music. <laughs> so... Um, and also, all of my brothers and sisters are musicians themselves as well. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Although I have lost three brothers. So uh, the music, sorry, I'll let you ask the questions. <laughs> yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, well, the music that I write is very inspirational. Um, when, I, when my brothers died, I was writing music that was very dark for most of my life. And then mm. about four years ago, things changed and uh, my whole perception of life changed and now I write very inspirational music well you just released your third studio album called Durban Girl yes which features legendary Nashville musicians as well as Toronto's top talent Mm -hmm. serving up nine originals and one cover Mm -hmm. Um, so and it seems to bring to the front many of your eclectic influences Mm -hmm. explain Mm -hmm. how it came about Um, well you know it's a collection of these nine songs that have been written over the course of about ten years Uh, Some of them, uh, well, actually, most of them were selected by Fred Mullen, who's my producer. And I wasn't. BB King and Billy Joel, when he produced them. That's not bad. No, no, he's pretty amazing. And I was very, very lucky to to meet him and to get to work with him. Uh, But yes, I just, I don't really have any borders with regards to my music. I like to just do my, my thing and be true to the music and to myself. Well, so what's next? Given that uh, you may be really positive, a, ba- a baby, well, a baby. <laughs> I mean, I mean, are you already sort of? Well, I'm planning a lullaby album as well. <laughs> Seriously, and uh, aside from that, I'm just launching um, my YouTube channel, which I'm releasing my own videos uh, as well of vocal training exercises, and because I teach voice, and uh, just planning the next. The next musical projects. So, where can people find you online? They can find me at Annie Bonson Your Music. Uh, they can purchase my music there as well. All of my albums are available there. And if they like, they can go and like my Facebook page at Annie Bonson Your Music as well. And YouTube, subscribe. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. That is it for What She Said Today. We will be back again tomorrow at noon right here on 105.9 The Region. Singing us out now in our live studio sessions is Annie Bonsignor performing. Uh, This song is called Fingerprints and uh, it's my awakening song, which is a little weird, but here we go.
what you give is what you get you see share your heart share your love there are reasons for everyone we meet all the part of who we and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.